We are the A. Atlanta, you know what that means. This is Brad Gazan of your MLS champion, Atlanta United. Atlanta has an unmistakable spirit, energy, and pride. And at Mercedes-Benz Buckhead, we are the A2. Mercedes-Benz Buckhead is Atlanta. Community-driven and passionate about what drives you. Test drive the new 2019 A-Class starting at 32.5 at Mercedes-Benz Buckhead and find out why we are the A. Mercedes-Benz Buckhead. Online at MercedesOfBuckhead.com. It's the 50th running of the AJC Peachtree Road Race. I can't imagine people 50 years ago wanted to say, let's run. On July 4th, one of the, probably the hottest days of the year. 50 years of traditions. I'm excited to do the Peachtree every year, but this year I'm most excited about the 50th anniversary t-shirt. 50 years of champions. Atlanta, it's a great city, the course, the atmosphere. 50 years of Atlanta's July 4th tradition. It's just exciting being around that many people in one race. Let's get you ready. You're listening to the Peachtree Podcast, the official podcast of the AJC Peachtree Road Race. Welcome to another season of the Peachtree Podcast, the official podcast of the AJC Peachtree Road Race. And here with Jay Holder, I'm Jennifer Perry. And Jay, this season we are counting down. It's not just any other AJC Peachtree Road Race. It's the 50th running of the world's largest 10K How's this last year been for you? (laughs) (laughs) Has it only been a year? Only been a year, actually, yes. Uh, It it feels like the Peachtree is tomorrow, uh, when we're really six weeks away. It has been a busy year, it's been an intense year, but it's been a lot of fun. I mean, there is so much history tied to this race, and a lot of the things that we're doing here at Atlanta Track Club celebrate the history, celebrate the people, celebrate the legacy, and then celebrate where this race is going for the next 50 years and being able to look back at some of those stories meet some of those people who were pioneers at this event pour through some of those memories has just been such an incredible experience for me i've been at atlanta track club for four years and and i did know a lot about the history of the race but i've learned so much more about where it fits in the history of road races throughout the country and in the, in the history of just large events throughout the country and where it fits in Atlanta's history. Well, and I will mention uh, to our listeners who maybe don't know about this, actually, this has been kind of a year-long culmination leading up to the 50th running. You actually have a website, peachtree50.com, where you share some of the stories, some of the behind-the-scenes things that a, a lot of us haven't experienced, even if we've run this race for years. Yeah, so we launched peachtree50.com on July 15th, 2018. So 11 days after the 49th running of the AJC Peachtree Road Race, we started the celebration in earnest of the 50th. And that was launched with a new logo, um, which I'm sure many of you have seen by this point. It's got the gold feature and the 50 on it. Uh, And then a new website, peachtree50.com. And what we did is there are so many stories that you can associate with this race and so many people you can profile. But we picked the 50 most entertaining, most important uh, integral pieces of the peach tree or things that are just so unique to this event and profile them every Thursday throughout the year because the peach tree this year is on a Thursday and it'll all culminate with the story of this year's race on July 4th 2019 the peach tree 50 features profiles on winners and race directors and volunteers it looks at the medical branch and and what it takes to ensure proper medical care for up to 60,000 people fortunately we've never had 60,000 people in the medical tent but we're prepared for everything it features some of the costumes that you see. We talk about the history of the t-shirt. It's just such a, a vast collection and a diverse collection of stories about this race. So if you haven't seen it, check it out. It features some great writers from inside these walls of Atlanta Truck Club where we're sitting right now, but also some great running sports writers from around the country who have lent their name to this project to be part of telling this really great story. 
Well, it's a really great website if you haven't checked that out. We're going to be sharing some of those stories, too, over the next six weeks here on the podcast. We do want to mention, Jay, there are two previous seasons, too, so you can find those, two wherever you get your favorite podcast. Go back and listen to some of the fantastic runners and guests that we've had on over the years. But this year is super special in so many different ways. There's just been a lot of interest because of the significance of this milestone in this race this year. We expected a lot of people to try to get into the AJC Peachtree Road Race this year. And I think what we saw far exceeded our expectations. Record interest from members. Uh, We've had to expand the size of the member party this year because there are so many members who took that guaranteed entry into the Peachtree that you get by being an Atlanta Track Club member and said, I'm going to be there this year. So a record number of members and then a record number of people coming through the lottery. Uh, There are still a couple of charity spots left, but not many. That benefits Kilometer Kids our free to all youth running program here at Atlanta Track Club. But yeah, it's it's going to be a huge party. Unfortunately, we can only fit 60,000 people on the streets in the amount of time that we have. Um, but to get one of those 60,000 slots this year was, was harder than it's been in the past. And uh, I think that speaks to how special this year's running is. It certainly is. It is a special year. And whether it's your very first AJC Peachtree Road Race, or maybe you've been doing this for decades yourself now, Jay, we'd love to hear from our listeners here on the podcast and address their questions too over the next few weeks. But how can they submit those questions to us? You can send a question to media at atlantatrackclub.org. That's where we take your story ideas. That's where we take your questions. Uh, When you get Peachtree Magazine at the Peachtree Health and Fitness Expo this year, a lot of the story ideas come from people who filled out that form, got that registration, a couple of days later found out they were in the race and just sent us their story of why they're running, what inspired them to run, how many times they've run. And you, you learn about all these people who are out there on July 4th. So if you've got a story, if you've got a question, email media at atlantatrackclub.org and, and we'd love to include it in our show. 60,000 runners, 60,000 different stories. And that's why we love this race. We'd love to hear from you here on the Peachtree Podcast. Let's get to our first guest this week. If you're wondering who has the giant responsibility here of handling the 50th running of the AJC Peachtree Road Race, who's keeping all those runners moving, all the volunteers at their stations, and really making sure that everything goes smoothly on the course as well, it's none other than Rich Kanaw, Atlanta Track Club Executive Director. He always helps us kick off the Peachtree Podcast every year, and uh, excited to be back with you, Rich. And I know, actually, at this time last year when we first talked, the preparation was already underway for this year. Yeah, I remember that conversation. I remember talking about the 50th. I can tell you right now, I'm not thinking about the 51st because this <laughs> year is such a big one. Uh, so all eyes are on July 4th. Well, when it comes to your own July 4th, on the Peachtree50.com website, uh, I know they chronicled kind of last year's 24 hours with you and what race day is like for you. I had a question from a listener last year to the podcast who wonders how you make it from the start to the finish line during the course of this race. Can you tell us about that that secret back way? Anyone who sits in Atlanta traffic wants to know your secret. That's a great question. So, sure, well, I, I stay at the start line until that last wave comes across the start line right there at, at Lenox, and then I rush, run down to my car, which is parked adjacent to the mall uh, and there is a strategically placed motorcycle with a police officer on it who helps me take (laughs) some back roads to get down to the finish line uh, and I pull in behind Park Tavern and then sprint right up to the finish line there. So that's the big secret. The blue lights help, right? They they help a lot. But (laughs) interesting, I'm not sure that I actually need the blue lights because there is no one 
on the road. So we go down Lennox, we go down Piedmont, uh, we take some side roads. But if we see five cars the entire way, that, that's a lot. That's a shock because yeah. everyone is watching this race or in the race itself. So it's such a huge tradition and it's hard to believe that it's been 50 years now. But when you took over as race director several years ago, did you realize really the significance of this event for the city itself? No, I had no clue. <laughs> it was the world's largest 10K to me and a really neat event that I had never run, but my wife had participated in. Uh, but now I understand the significance, the impact, in the tradition uh, that it has for all of Atlanta. Well, over this last year, as I mentioned, uh, you've been working on this for more than a year now. So any special things that people can look forward to as we mark this milestone? Lots of special things. I'm not sure we have enough time to talk about all of them. I'd say the one thing that, that all participants can look forward to is celebrating the decades of the peach tree. So from our merchandise to the themes that they'll see at the expo to the themes that they'll see on the course, we're going to celebrate each of the decades that the peach tree has, has operated in. And then uh, we've talked with Bill Thorne before. He's the only guy who's run every single one so far. So anything special planned uh, for Bill for the original this year? Of course. There's a lot of people who want to interview me in the days leading up to each Peachtree to just talk about our planning and the safety and the security and the experience of the participants. I can tell you there is one person in 2019 who's going to be more in demand than the race director, and that's going to be Bill Thorne. He's a great story. He's a great guy. And I joke with him all the time. We just want to wrap him up in bubble wrap right now to make sure we get him to the start line ready to go. We must get him to July 4th and to <laughs> cross that finish line so he can get yet another T-shirt. Now, I'm going to ask you about the T-shirt. We're going to be talking about that a lot here on the podcast because it's become a tradition in itself as part of the AJC Peachtree Road Race. But uh, this year, you did something differently in terms of letting really community groups and, and important people to the city submit their designs, right? Sure. So the participant shirt, or as we call it, the finisher shirt, Finishers. is well known here in Atlanta and throughout the world as, as part of the Peachtree tradition. And the crux of that is that we have someone design it and we don't let anyone see it until they come across that finish line. So this year we decided to, to pick some key influencers, if you will, some celebrities to design the shirts. So we went out and requested some of our friends, our fr friends at the Hawks, the Braves, Mayor Bottoms, Jeff Galloway, the first finisher, uh, yeah. of the uh, first winner of the Peachtree, and award-winning author Emily Giffen. And they designed our shirts with a little bit of help, but they designed our shirts. So those were the five finalists, and those were the finalists that the general public got the opportunity to vote on through the AJC. Now that voting is over now, but uh, if you're a member, especially you get those email updates. So if you missed your chance, you got to sign up again for next year's vote. You do. And it was very interesting. We had more people voting on this year's T-shirt contest than we have ever had. So the, the strategy was correct. Uh, it threw some people for a loop because they, had, they weren't sure what to expect. Uh -huh. I thought I think we saw different designs that we had seen in the past, but we're pretty excited about where we landed. And hopefully everyone feels the same when they come across the line and get their shirt. It has to be pretty special for the 50th, right? Everything has to be special, <laughs> special for the 50th. Well, one thing I didn't realize until I read it on Peachtree50.com, really interesting, that you actually present the finisher's shirt to some other people after the race. But uh, tell us about that. People who didn't actually finish but really tried hard, right? <laughs> so I say all the time when I, when I find those 
what we'll call unlucky people, that if you run yourself so hard that you find yourself in a hospital, uh, that the race director actually hand delivers that shirt to you. So in the hours that follow the race each and every year, I visit area hospitals, and, and hopefully in 2019, I won't have to make too many visits. Uh, but with 60,000 folks, you have some people who run themselves just a little bit too hard and need a little bit of extra medical attention. That brings us to a good point too, uh, Rich. When it comes to the safety and security and the health of all these runners going across, there's a really tricky choreography to this race from the starting line to the finish. And one of the things I hadn't really thought about before was just how you move so many people through that finish line in such a short amount of time. But how many people does that take to pull off? And, and how have you guys gotten so good at this? Because I've been in other races in other cities, it's not always this smooth. It's an art. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's an art that has taken you know decades to perfect, and I'm not sure that we've perfected it quite yet. We're getting close. We have a committee, and under that committee we have crew chiefs, and under those crew chiefs we have volunteers, and everybody works in unison uh, to bring this sort of massive wave of people from Lenox down into Piedmont Park. So to answer your question, there's there's between four and five thousand people who help us pull it off, uh, but within that four or five thousand people we have volunteers we have APD that leads sort of the safety and security effort and a host of other local regional state and federal agencies that make this thing something special do you think we'll always be kind of at the 60,000 level because of that safety need and just the sheer coordination that has to go into this race? So we had lots of conversations this year about how to celebrate the 50th. And, and one of the first topics was, hey, do we just let everybody in? Or do we grow the size of the race? And we decided against it. We said, we know how to manage a 60,000 person race. Uh, so let's spend our time delivering the best possible experience to those 60,000 folks. So we had the largest interest in getting into the race this year in, in terms of lottery, and we look forward to delivering a 50th celebration like no other. Do you know what that total number of applicants was for this year? I do, and it's a state secret, much like our t-shirts. <laughs> I never tell anybody exactly what that interest was, but I can say it exceeded our expectations. Well, if you are one of those 60,000, you're pretty lucky this year. And as Atlanta Track Club members, you do get that automatic entry. I'm sure you've seen your membership just at the club level grow over the years, not just because of this race, but because of what you guys do all year long. We have seen significant growth in the last five or six years. Our, our membership has, has almost doubled. Wow. And a lot of people think that that is driven by the Peachtree. And of course, the Peachtree is a big part of what a membership to Atlanta Track Club delivers, but it's much more than that. So I do expect in the 50th year to see a higher number, a higher percentage of our members participate than is normal, but we continue, or at least I hope, to see even bigger numbers next year. Well, it's led to this moniker, Running City USA. You've really changed just how people perceive Atlanta in terms of a running destination, and and it really has changed the community. I mean, you see these stories all year long, not just on July 4th. We do. We do this a lot each and every day, each and every week. We believe because of the size of the organization, because of the size of the Peachtree, the number of finishers in road races of all shapes and sizes, that Atlanta is running City USA. There's no doubt about that in my mind. And we look forward to helping those people from, I believe, 49 different states and 31 different countries this year truly understand and realize why we are running City USA on July 4th. I think you'll see it here. No matter uh, where you're coming from this year, you're going to recognize Atlanta is a great running destination, 
even on the hot, humid days of summer, we make it a lot of fun. I think this is the difference with the AJC Peachtree Road Race. As you mentioned, a lot of times it attracts the elite runners. It attracts people just starting out. So for our listeners today who are maybe six weeks out, maybe this is their very first Peachtree, but it's the 50th running. What can they expect? The world's largest running party. I say that quite a lot, (laughs) but they should expect that. Uh, In terms of their preparation, they should look at this as something that is meant to be an experience uh, and not meant to be an event, a race where they're going to go out and set their PR because of the challenges and the density of people and the assumption that it's probably going to be a little bit warm. So enjoy your preparation, get outside, get used to the heat, get acclimated, and then just enjoy yourself on the 4th of July and take it all in. And I know a lot of people have been enjoying this race for years. A lot have made that a family tradition. How important is it to you as the race director to preserve the tradition of the peach tree and still keep that Atlanta feel to this race? Uh, it's, it's the top of the list. If you were to sort of bullet point my job description and say, make sure that the peach tree stays healthy, stays accessible to all of Atlanta. That would be it. And a lot of local companies get involved with this. I don't think this race could take place without full community support because it's something to shut down the city's busiest street, even for a few hours. It is. So we're fortunate enough to have the support of the current administration, Mayor Bottoms, and all previous administrations. So from city government to city services and, to your point, the corporate community. The, the companies that are associated with Atlanta every day, like Coca-Cola and Delta and UPS and Home Depot and many more, uh, they're all out there. And maybe more importantly, their employees are all out there. We're pretty mm-hmm. proud of the fact that the employees of these Atlanta companies come out in force, uh, again, to, to celebrate their company's support of this event and to celebrate in the same way that all of Atlanta does. We're recording the Peachtree Podcast at uh, your headquarters here, Rich, and I know the next six weeks, for all of your staff, all of your volunteers are going to be crazy, but what will the next six weeks be like for you personally? Let's see, the next six weeks will go by like six days. I'll be long days, exciting days, but certainly some fulfilling days. The funny thing is that once we get to that last week, there's really not much more for us to do. Everything, you know, the the stage has been set, so to speak, and, and then just inertia allows this event to happen. So I'd say the next five weeks are really crucial on that last week. I guess maybe the first five days of that last week or a little bit of rest before the show. Now, the big question is, are you finally going to make it to the fireworks this July 4th? <laughs> Uh, I say that every year, but but at about four o'clock in the afternoon, my body says no moss. So. <laughs> and we're done. But uh, a lot of exciting things coming up. Obviously, the 50th running of the AJC Peachtree Road Race is a huge part of that. And then you get to work on next year, too. Atlanta is going to be on the running map yet again for the 2020 trials. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, we're super excited about an event we're calling America's Marathon Weekend. So that's going to include the Publix Atlanta Marathon and the Olympic trials in the marathon. So that, that Olympic trials will pick the team for the Tokyo Games in 2020. So that's February 29th, and we're excited about celebrating again Running City USA. Well, in the midst of all this, Rich, are you able to find time to get a run in yourself every once in a while, besides just running around the office here? Sure, not as much as I'd like, <laughs> uh, but uh, we, it's funny, we, we have a new partnership with Polar and I'm wearing a Polar watch. So Polar tells me when I've gotten the appropriate amount of training uh, in every day. And, uh, and if I don't, uh, 
it chimes at me. So <laughs> the great irony of working in a running organization, and, and many others will tell you this here, is that you don't have enough time to run yourself, but it's important for us to make that effort. As a matter of fact, next week, our staff is gonna go on a, on a Peachtree course run together. Oh, okay. So that will be our AJC Peachtree Road Race next week. Well, you enjoy those 6.2 miles, test it out for the rest of us, and we're looking forward to the 50th running of the AJC Peachtree Road Race. But I know you've got to run right now. So thanks for joining us here on the Peachtree Podcast, Rich. Thanks for having me. Well, Delta is the official airline of the AJC Peachtree Road Race. Delta flies to 300 cities. That's 300 cities where people sing in the car poorly. 300 cities where people miss someone in one of our other 299 cities. We don't fly to 300 cities merely to bring us together, but to show us we're not that far apart. Delta, proud to be the official airline of the AJC Peachtree Road Race. In 49 runnings of the AJC Peachtree Road Race, only 98 people have crossed that finish line first. That means out of the millions of AJC Peachtree Road Race finishers, only a very small number know what it feels like to break the tape at the world's largest 10K. Now, last year, the women's race, which doubled as the USATF 10K Championships, was won by Stephanie Bruce. She joins Jay by phone from Flagstaff, Arizona, just one day after running a 5K PR in California. You know, you're on a bit of a, a long, hot streak right now. Um, <laughs> as a 35-year-old parent of two kids, I feel like I can say, what the heck? <laughs> What's the secret? I mean, honestly, I think a lot of it is there were just some stuff when I was younger that, like, I don't think my potential was really reached. Um, a combination of, like, when I didn't know I had celiac disease and just some, like, low iron levels. Like, I don't think I was firing on all cylinders, like, really early in my career. Um, for whatever reason, like, I was taking care of myself, but things I just couldn't figure out. And then, you know, my career started to pick up, like, 2012 and 2013, and those were, like, two of the best years of my career. And then we started a family in 2014. Um, and then I think it, now I'm just over three years postpartum from my second child. I think it's just a time thing. Like I said, something about being in it for the long game. It just took me this long to, like, absorb Coach Ben's training and for it to all start to like come to fruition. So it looks like all these like massive breakthroughs, but it was almost like they've been in there. It's just a matter of time for them to come out. Do you think maybe in a way that the limitations that things like having celiac put on you and stopped you from maybe being able to physically give 150%, do you think that maybe even could in the long run lengthen your career? Yeah, typically mid-30s isn't exactly when people are running PRs, but I don't know. I think it limited a, a couple things physically, but mentally what it did for me, it just challenged me and, like, asked me how much I really want to do this and, and kind of how bad I want it. And no matter, like, when I was sidetracked or sidelined, I would just keep coming back to this, like, you should be doing this. Like, just keep believing it. Eventually, all the things that you want to do will come true one day. Um, and so since it's been happening, that has just been coming to fruition, which is really awesome. One of the things that I, I really admire about you as an athlete is that you're very open about everything. You know, you put it all on the table. And I want to, for our listeners who, who might not know some of the battles you face, can you talk a little bit about your battle with celiacs, how you found out you had that, and what you had to change to be able to be an athlete dealing with that disease? Sure. So um, 
You know, it started around, I would say, like 2009, where I, in 2008 I had run the Olympic track trials and I was 12th in the 10,000, and I wasn't really running anything that was anything to write home about at that time. But then I just had like a year where I would have cycles of good training and then I just felt like overtrained and I would have little injuries pop up all the time and kind of out of nowhere. Um, and then just my daily life was pretty rough. Like, I remember living in Eugene with my husband now, Ben, and I just woke up every day like feeling like trash. I just felt hungover and my like brain was in a fog, my legs were achy, um, and it was just like a really unpleasant time for me. And food allergies like hadn't been discussed a lot at that time, and so nothing was like pointing to that. And so I just kept seeing different chiropractors and they would feel my muscles and be like, gosh, you just feel like beat up when I'm like not even training that hard. But I just kept like trying to seek out more and more people. And I eventually found a naturopath. And so they do a little, you know, Eastern medicine and they asked me about like food intolerances. And they're like, have you ever done an elimination diet? And I said, no. And they're like, let's try it. And so basically you take out major food groups that they suspect you might have an allergy to and you take them out one at a time and then you reintroduce them in like a three-day cycle. So I took out gluten, dairy, egg, and soy and I felt awful right away like when I took them out because your body is just like doesn't have anything in it. It's very like lethargic because it's not used to all the sugars and the fats and carbs that you've been eating. But then after two weeks, it was scary. I actually felt really good. I'm like, well, this is not a good sign. (laughs) That means I must be, like, reacting to something. Um, And sure enough, when we brought back in gluten and dairy, um, I had a reaction right away. And then I took a a stool test, and it showed that I had celiac in 2010. Um, Yeah, and it kind of just changed my life from then on. I want to go back to the hot streak, which kind of started last year at Peachtree, and we'll get to that in a second. (laughs) But we're less than 24 hours removed from a 5K PR on the track as we do this interview. And not just a small PR, by 5K standards, a 30-second PR, which is huge. Did you know going into that, that race last night at Oxy that you, you had the world standards in sight and then you were in that kind of shape? We weren't focused on time. Um, actually, on Friday, last Friday, so whatever, six days ago, I told Ben, I was like, hey, what do you think about me running a 5K at Oxy? And my good friend, Rachel Snyder, um, we had just gone to brunch, and she's like, you should totally do this race, because she was running it, and we've wanted to run in a race together, and she just felt like I should run one, because everyone thought I was in good shape. And he kind of was like, I don't know if it fits in the schedule. And then he thought about it, and then he's like, fine, we're not backing you off, though. Like, you're still going to train kind of through it. Um, and so I, he still had me run 20-mile long run on Sunday, And then three days later, I had to run the 5K. But I just had so much confidence in the training I had been doing. Um, What we do at NAZ Elite is just very strength-oriented, and we work really hard in Flagstaff. But there's a little bit of an element of not fear but unknown because the type of workouts we do don't exactly lend to telling us, oh, I'm in this shape for the 5K. Like, we don't do a lot of interval and VO2 max training so I had an idea I could hopefully run under 15.30 just because of everything else I've run, like me, my PRs. But Ben said, I don't want to worry about splits. I want you to compete. And he didn't tell me one split in the race. And he just said, you know, compete with the front pack. And the goal was to try to be top three in the race. 
and that's exactly what I did. I ended up being fourth, but the competing, I think, is what brought the time time out. Yeah, and, and what a great race for really everybody in that field. Rachel, of course, included a uh, big PR for her as, as well. What's up next for you after such a strong performance in the 5K on the track? I just got announced as part of the U.S. team for Boulder Boulder, and that will be on Memorial Day, um, and that's an exciting race. That's always been a race that I have wanted to win in my career and um, help the, the U.S. team try to come away with a gold medal to be first place, um, and just the atmosphere of Boulder is incredible, so it'll be great to run through the streets there. And then I have the U.S. 10K Road Champs, um, where it was Petrie last year is now at the New York Mini, and that's June 8th. I noticed the theme here with, with 10Ks. You've had such a strong success at really every distance over the past couple of years, marathon all the way down. Heading into a world championship year, heading into an Olympic year, where will your focus be? You know, it's um, 2019 was all about trying to bring out the versatility in me and challenge me and figure out what my range can be. And so I like to think to be a good marathoner, you have to be a good 10K runner. And, you know, to be a good 10K runner, you have to run the 5K well. So um, I don't like to pigeonhole myself. But, you know, 2020 sites are set on running the trials and trying to make the Olympic marathon team in Atlanta on February 29th. Um, so that's the number one goal. And then every race leading up to that is still an opportunity to just get the most out of myself. Yeah. And try to compete for the win and run PRs and just kind of be the best version of myself. New standards in the marathon are definitely tighter than they have been in the past, but not a time you haven't run before. Is that the new changes from IAAF in regards to the marathon, that 229.30 standard for women, is that a scary change in your mind? Is that a good thing? What are your thoughts on that? You know, I'm a little, I guess, indifferent to it because, in my opinion, with the way that how deep the U.S. is, for women, it's going to take much faster than that to make the Olympic team. And so I don't want to say it's an afterthought because that's not giving it respect. But I'm looking at it's going to take, you know, 224, 223 effort uh, to be able to make that Olympic team. And so you're looking five minutes faster than the standard. Um, and I think it's good. It, not everyone can – the Olympics isn't a participation event, and so it should be very hard to make it there. Um, so I think it's when you set standards that are very challenging, people usually step up to them. And we've seen that, uh, especially with, with members of your team out there already. And I want to talk about a little bit about Nazalie, uh, a, a couple of things. One, you've been, even in this conversation, just rattling off workouts, talking about what you guys do. That's not something you see from all the elite training groups. There's, there's a lot of secretive groups out there that wouldn't tell you what they're running on any given day. You guys put it all out there. Why do you guys feel like that's beneficial in the running community? I just think that, you know, the longer I've been in the sport, you forget that, when we're paid as pro athletes, like who's paying us? Our shoe sponsors, like Hoka pays me, but the fans essentially are the ones that we're doing it for because the fans are the ones in the road races behind us. They're the ones on the sidelines and in the stands cheering us on. And so if you don't remember that they're out here like cheering us on, if they weren't there, it, it would just be empty stadiums and empty roads. Um, and so I think if you have any either knowledge or motivation or entertainment, then you can pass along to the mass runners. To me, it feels like part of my job as a pro runner, and I thoroughly enjoy it. Um, and so it doesn't feel like a task to me. 
So it's really fun to be able to share the parts of the journey. And even if they aren't successful parts, it still makes you a human, you know. Yes, it's an ideal story when you're sharing something and then you run a PB in a huge race, but your fans aren't going to like you any less if you have a bad day. Um, but I think just being consistent with sharing your story is a big part of our mission statement. You know, we NAZ Elite is train hard, race fearlessly, and share every part of the journey. I think the fans can really just get on board and, and feel those ups and downs with you. And, um, yeah, I think more pros are starting to do it, and I think that's what's growing our sport, and it's, it's really good for track and field and distance running. Couldn't agree more. Uh, NAZ Elite has, I think it's fair to say that, especially the original group of runners out there, none of you were NCAA champions or, you know, big names coming out of college, but you've all had, you know, arguably more success than any training group in the country these last couple of years. What is it about that group that has produced such consistent success across all of its athletes? I mean, I think it's Coach Ben and uh, him and Jen Rosario, their vision when they wanted to start the group, they just really had an idea of what a professional training group should look like and Ben having run with the Hanson project for four or five years of his career, he had a philosophy of training of knowing the marathon and ultimately he wanted to recruit people that he could we could try to put on the Olympic team in the marathon. But then I think what happened is as we all started to do that training, that was almost training that the athletes he recruited would have flourished under in college. And so that's why you have all of us now PRing in shorter distances, like in the 10K and the 5K, the half marathon, because that's the type of training that really suits us as athletes. Um, yeah, and then you just have this, like, belief that if they can do it, I can do it. One person, like, sets the bar high, and then the other teammate wants to, you know, make it higher. And um, it's just kind of cool how we have that movement going on with us and as we said it takes long term most of the people that are having success in the group have been with the group since the beginning you know three four five years and I think that's something important to to tell younger kids that it doesn't happen overnight everyone would like it to but it takes a long time to get good and if you can just have that belief system um, and you know being it for the long game I think that's where success is going to come. In that regard, I think, it, you know, we've talked about this before, a big part of your story until about a year ago is that, you know, not the one that people expected to win, you know, and I think you sort of played that to your advantage and uh, were able to get some big victories out of that. But now with a 10, U.S. 10K championship under your belt, a U.S. half marathon championship under your belt, a 15, 17, 5K. I don't think that underdog story is going to work. <laughs> Are you sure? Because I'm going to still try to use it. <laughs> I don't think anybody's going to buy that. So does, how, does, that, does that change your mentality on standing on the starting line at all? No. I mean, my mentality has it, – it never is phased by write-ups or, you know, since the beginning of my career, I've never been mentioned, but I've always, like, put up solid performances. But I think that's part of sport. Like, as an athlete, you can't get – offended if someone doesn't mention you and that's part of the discussion and people critically thinking and in a lot of my races in the past I would be like yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't count me to win either but when you're the athlete and the coach like you know something special and you know how training has gone it doesn't matter what's written up you just have to take that belief you know to the start line and it's it's never really um phased my mentality and now it's more just it gives me more and more confidence each time I can get a good performance under my belt that when I get to the starting line the next time I just kind of look back and be like okay you've done this even though your competitors have all done that you know remember you've done this 
I'm going to throw myself under the bus a little bit. We've talked about this over the last year, but one of my more uh, bigger regrets as the marketing director here at the Track Club and uh, and the person who puts together the Peachtree press conference is I didn't have you on stage last year, but before the Peachtree at the press conference, and you next day came out and put on one of the best shows I've seen uh, on Peachtree Street in a long time. We don't have to relive that part, but I do want to, I do want to relive the race. Because it really was, a, I was sitting on the back of the women's press truck, and it was a, it was so much fun to watch. Just the strength you had in that last mile. Take me through the last mile, two miles of of history last year. I'm, I'm sure you remember it well. Chasing down your teammate Alfie Antilliamuk, who was the defending champion at the time. Yeah, you know, I mean, I had been training with Alfie, so I knew how fit she was, and she had been like a world beater at the time. She was second to Mary Katani in the New York Mini. She ran 32.08 in Central Park on a hilly course. And so I knew she was very fit. And there was a very good chance when she broke away that we were not going to see her and she was going to run away with it. Um, And I know that's how she runs. She runs very strong out front. And it wasn't really my race to cover that move. It felt too stiff for me at that point. But then something I kind of learned in my career, like the race isn't over until it's over, until you cross the finish line. And so when you kind of go down the hill after 5K and then you make that climb at 4, Sarah Hall and I just kind of started to give chase, I guess, to her. And I think the two of us had each other to push one another, which certainly helped. Um, And then I could see Alfina, but it seemed like a very big gap. But I just kept pushing, and um, slowly that gap started to shorten and lessen and when we got to make that turn on 10th street i believe to turn left um i found myself right there and i was very confident in my speed and my kick at that time because i had just run usas on the track and i was third um and so i knew i was pretty confident i could outkick most people um but also my teammate alphine is very strong so she wasn't gonna just let me have it um yeah and then I kind of pulled up right next to her and we almost had this like unspoken I think she said like go girl in a way that she couldn't really respond to the move but she was almost glad it was her teammate passing her which was this cool moment and then you know once once I got next to her I just kind of switched gears and put my head down and hammered home that last 500 and just tried to soak in uh kind of what felt like a decade of hard work like finally turn into a victory well I, I don't ever pick favorites but i i will say that's one of the times i've been i've been really glad to be wrong <laughs> um, <laughs> so a lot of our listeners are, are training for peachtree right now and they are not realistically going to break the tape on street so can you tell them what what that feels uh yeah you know i just talked about this with um let's run and having won the half title two weeks ago it's just um it's this like moment of out of body experience where you kind of have a flash of your whole life in five to six seconds and like everything that you've wanted to accomplish and everything you've been working towards and things that may feel like sacrifices or choices you've made, um, leaving my kids and different things that I sometimes feel guilty about and I wonder if it's worth it and then it all becomes worth it like in those few moments and you want the moment to just last forever, but you know, it has to finish just like that because it's over in one or two seconds. And um, yeah, it just kind of makes everything that we do like absolutely worth it. You mentioned your kids and I I talked to a lot of runners who either 
the mom and the, and they've got kids at home, but their husband's not a runner or they're the dad and they've got kids at home, but their wife's not a runner. You're in a situation where both mom and dad are, are pro runners. <laughs> you know, as, as a parent of two little kids myself, that's exhausting on its own. How do you guys do it? I think we just have a, you know, Ben and I have been together for, oh boy, uh, 14 years now. And we just have this really great relationship where we try to balance one another and we try to figure out the needs um, that we each have and how we can fill those needs. And, you know, Ben ran a lot. Um, his, I would say his prime in his career was while I was kind of either going through injuries or having our kids. Um, and then it kind of switched a little now as he's a little older and he's taken on the role of being an assistant coach for NAZ Elite. And now, you know, he's supporting me in ways that, Hopefully I did when I was younger to him. Um, and I don't know. We just, uh, we never say we like balance it. We just say we're surviving kind of because with two little kids, you always feel like you're in the trenches at some point. Um, but it is nice with them being three and four years old. I mean, they sleep well now. They sleep through the night. Um, they're in a daycare system. They just started all these sports. They're doing little league and swim class and uh, gymnastics and so now we're like the parents that are just like driving all over town so that's a little different but it gets easier kind of in every phase that we go through with them um, and then it's just really cool like that they're they're also now well aware of what we do and like for them to be able to like talk to me before a race and say like I hope you win mom it's just like cool that they understand what's going on they know I can't always win races so they don't really know the difference between like the Olympics or um, a little local 5k that I'm doing but um, it's just really neat that I feel like they're now part of our journey and um, just what I do is a family affair. Any inkling that they'll be runners at all or do they like to run? Oh, they love to run. They don't stop moving. Um, we're not going to uh, push them into anything, but it'd be hard to think they wouldn't get into running on their own. But we're trying to expose them to a bunch of different sports to see what they what they like best. We don't know at the time of this interview if you'll be back on July 4th this year, but hypothetically, if you are, what does that race look like for you coming back as a defending champion? I mean, I uh, there are not many races that I have been the defending champ um, to come back because uh, I haven't won a ton of races in my career. So it would definitely be an honor. And, yeah, we're trying to figure out the schedule right now. But um, I know that when I left the city, I told Atlanta I would be back, whether it's this year or some other year. I just love the energy of the town and the crowds and anything I could do to help people, like, get out the door and tell them that, even if it's one mile walking, you know, it's worth it to get out the door. And I think signing up for a race like Peachtree is enough incentive to get yourself either up early in the morning before the heat and humidity start coming in the summer or, or meeting a group to train with. That gives you something to, like, look forward to. And the race should be, like, the reward of the training. I always try to remind myself that, that the race is the fun part of what we do. Stephanie Bruce is the defending, the reigning, not just defending, the reigning champion of the AJC Peachtree Road Race. We hope, Stephanie, to see you on the starting line this year. If not, we'll, we'll see you soon. You're welcome in Atlanta anytime. Thanks so much. Inspired by your favorite Cliff Bar flavors, Cliff Energy Granola is a delicious new way to kickstart your morning. Made with hearty clusters of organic oats, almonds, cashews, seeds, and dried fruit, it's crafted to deliver sustained energy for adventures big and small. Hey. 
Well, Jennifer, you can imagine over 50 years, the amount of memories that are made in those 50 years of running the AJC Peachtree Road Race, and someone has to sort through them all. Uh, and they are countless, and they're all really fascinating and a big part of the story that we're telling uh, as we celebrate this milestone race. I'm here with Janet Monk, who is a special projects manager for Atlanta Track Club and the archivist. And Janet, I have to imagine that as we lead up to the 50th Peachtree, being the archivist is a real busy job. Going back through all of the records, things that I had actually forgotten about has been really fun. And there's been little things that I have found that I didn't even realize that we had. Yeah, I was thinking about that. We have an archive room here and and I go in there and I get stuck in a rabbit hole of just looking at things because it's so fascinating. What are some of the more interesting finds that that you've made over these last couple of months? Some of the emails that I've gotten from our original 110 runners. There was one story that I got from um, one of our 110s where he actually found a gun on the sidewalk the morning of uh, July 4th, 1970. When he first saw it, he actually thought it was a toy. But he picked it up and carried it on and turned it into the police once he got to the finish line. So, I mean, that's like probably the craziest story. But just finding all these different little things um, that I've kind of like come across, just the enthusiasm from that morning and the families that participated. It's been really fun to go back and revisit a lot of that. I want to talk about the the original 110 here in in a second, but first I I want to talk a little bit about the archives here. You know, when when those 150 starters or so stood on that starting line on July 4th, 1970, no way they could have known what that race was going to become. But someone had the foresight to keep all these things. Can you talk a little bit about what's included in the archives upstairs? So from the very first one, um, I have like original um, carbon copies of letters that the founding father of Peachtree, Tim Singleton, um, had put in a folder. And we have those letters that he had sent to the mayor of Atlanta requesting permission to run the race. Um, We have the the original entry form. There's not, you know, a lot in that folder because, you know, no one would have ever thought that from that very first one when 110 people finished that now there's 60,000 people that participate. So it's, you know, very treasured and I protect it with my life. What's the what's the most and obviously you can't put a price tag on in any of these things, but in your opinion, what's the most valuable item in the Atlanta Track Club archives? To me it's like the T shirt that we have from nineteen seventy one that we keep framed in, in the office because it's that constant reminder of where we started and kind of like where we've gotten to today. And even in those very like beginning years, it was all about the camaraderie. It was about finishing. It was about, you know, doing your race. And even now, that's part of what the Atlanta Track Club does, is that we want to make sure that whether you're the elite runners or whether you're that very last person that comes across the finish line, is that we take really good care of you. And that was part of what Tim Singleton did in 1970 also. You talk about what's the same. What do you think, watching this race progress, whether you were here or looking back at the archives from before you started here, what do you think the biggest thematic change is between now and 50 years ago? I mean, other than the fact that there's like 60,000 people, um, you know, that's like a small city, you know, like moving down the street. But I guess it was just, you know, it's like the people that ran that first year, 
they came out because they had a love of running. They had a love of the sport. And even now, I think that's one of the main things that drives people. It's like on so many people's bucket list now, but it's still part of that participating in something that is so much bigger than kind of like who you are. You mentioned the original 110, and, and to let anybody know who, who might not be familiar with that phrase, it's one we use almost every day here, uh, 110 finishers of the, of the first Peace Tree on July 4th, 1970, uh, 107 men, three women, uh, many of them registered for the 50th running of the Peace Tree. Janet, what are some of the plans to celebrate them as pioneers of this event and this sport in the city? So we are letting them run together. Um, we have assigned them to start wave E, and they'll have like a special bib. And then on July the 2nd, we're having a reception for them, and that way they get to see each other. This is something that we started in 1989, and every five years we have, it's kind of like a high school reunion for these guys, and they are so appreciative of the fact that you know, the Atlanta Track Club grew as Peachtree grew, but we never lost sight of who those those first, you know, 107 men and three women finishers. We've never lost sight of the fact that if they hadn't shown up that morning, you know, who's to say what would have happened with, you know, not with just Peachtree, but with the track club also. You're in pretty regular communication with this group. What does it mean to them to be an original 110 member? Oh, it's, it's immeasurable. I mean, they are so... They take it as just like, oh, wow, you know, I was there sort of thing. But they're so appreciative of what we do for them and how we feel about them. Um, I've been here since 1994. This will be my 25th peach tree. And to be, that was like the first kind of like big job I had was I was like mother hen for them that, that first year and getting them, you know, from the start line down to the finish and not losing any of them. Um, it's kind of like herding cats. But, um, you know, got them to the finish. And from then, it's just been this development that I've had, this relationship that I've kind of like developed with them. Um, they love peach tree. They love, you know, the Atlanta Track Club and just everything that we do for them. I get all these wonderful emails, how much they thank us, and they just can't imagine not being able to participate this year or in the, you know, these other years also. But they're just... Um, I know, they're just a really cool bunch of people. Of course, there's only one person who's done them all. That's Bill Thorne. We're going to talk to him in an upcoming episode of the Peachtree Podcast, but you'll hear his name a lot over these next couple of weeks, and rightly so. Uh, you mentioned starting on the 25th anniversary of the Peachtree. What was that like compared to what we're doing this year, 25 years later? It's pretty much the same. You know, it's like everybody thinks is that like one peach tree, the next peach tree, you know, there's all these different things that happen and go on. But that year, the 25th running, um, it was still the same thing. It's like, you know, we had parties for them. We recognized them. And we're going to do that same thing, you know, this year. The 50th, of course, is, I mean, what a milestone. You know, and like you were talking about Bill Thorne, he's just this amazing person. I mean, he's in his like 80s and you know he still runs and exercises every day but there's so many of the 110s that still they go out and they exercise you know to some degree it's something they've done like all of their you know late teens early you know adult lives so it's just really hard to, to put into words kind of like what it means to to them and I think to you know all of us at the uh, at the office here. You've done such a great job, even on non-milestone years, of making sure that the people who are putting on the peach tree, working a mile a minute to get everything done, 
pay proper respects to the traditions of the peach tree. So that's something you do every year, whether it's the 25th or the 50th. But I, I have to imagine in your role that these years are the most exciting. They are. They're absolutely the most exciting because I get to see my 110 guys, you know, and ladies. Um, I get to talk with them and I get to, you know, hug them and say, I'm so glad to see you again. What's been going on with you? You know, are you still running? So being here, you know, and just revisiting with them is uh, something pretty special to me. You probably know more about the history of this race than anyone else. Going through it all, do you have a favorite Peachtree story? No, because they're all, to me, seeing the wheelchair runners come across the finish line because they're the first people that come across the finish line and seeing them because I've been out on the course and I've watched how hard it is for them, you know, to get up cardiac kill and just to blow down through, you know, at the finish line and see them come across is so exciting. And then it's like you you stand there at the, once the elites go through, the really fast guys, once they go through and just the general, you know, population starts, you know, coming across the finish line, you know if you're successful is because everybody's head's bobbing. If heads stop bobbing, you know that there's something wrong with the finish line, which we had that happen once, but, you know, we got it corrected pretty quickly. But just seeing like, the humanity come across. I mean, it just gives me chills. All that humanity on July 4th, how do we spot the 110s? Oh, so they will have um, special race numbers and we also do special t-shirts for them. So if you see a shirt and on the back of their shirt, it will say original 110. Give them a handshake. Give them a high five. Say, way to go. I'm glad you were out there that first July 4th in 1970. And where are you going to be on race day? I'm going to be with the awards. That's something that I've done um, since the very first year I started here. I've helped at the awards ceremony. Well, Janet Monk is the archivist for Atlanta Track Club. She's got a busy couple of months ahead, and then uh, more history will be made to put in those archives on July 4th, 2019. Thanks, Janet. Thank you so much, Jay. I am proudly wearing my bright white Peachtree Waveknit R2s because what's the AJC Peachtree Road Race without Mizuno, the official footwear and apparel partner of Atlanta Track Club? This year, while at the Health and Fitness Expo, stop by the Mizuno booth to pick up your commemorative medal right next to this year's custom shoe, the one I'm wearing, the limited edition Peachtree 50th Rider Waveknit by Mizuno. After snapping a picture in the photo booth, pick out your favorite piece of exclusive moisture-wicking AJC Peachtree Road Race Decades Apparel and 50th AJC Peachtree Road Race Commemorative Tea and Tank. Folks, there will be a lot of moisture that will need to be wicked. Be sure to swing by early. We expect to sell out and you don't want to miss your chance to celebrate history. So much history, so much tradition with this race. And uh, coming up next week here on the Peachtree Podcast, Jay, we're going to go behind the scenes with a man who's been here for every single one. Yeah, I cannot get enough of Bill Thorne, and Bill Thorne cannot get enough of the AJC Peachtree Road Race. He's run, he will, as of this year, run all 50 of them, and he's the only person. And uh, he has stories to tell from every one of those races, uh, and he has advice that we can all use in our own race uh, and in life. He's just an inspirational guy to talk to, and uh, I'm really looking forward to to hearing his plans for Peachtree number 50. And he's so inspiring to those of us who might be getting a little bit older or maybe even just starting out. His passion for running has always been there, and you still hear that in his voice even today. 
Yeah, he doesn't take a day off. He runs five miles every day. And anybody who's run the same race 50 times in a row clearly is driven and loves what they're doing. And, you know, when you're having a bad day and you just don't want to get out there for a run, Bill Thorne's a guy you should think about and think about, you know, he takes every opportunity he can get to get out there. And uh, it's an amazing thing to see. Well, and over the next several weeks here on the Peachtree Podcast, we're going to have a lot more great interviews, great stories too, and I'm sure you'll be revealing even more details about the race as well. There's so much we have to share over these next couple of weeks. There's so many cool things that are happening around the 50th Peachtree that we've had to sort of hold back on when we could announce you know, each, each exciting initiative. So uh, this is going to be a great place to tune in and find out what's happening that specifically that weekend. Um, that's gonna, and it's not a weekend. I know it's a Thursday, but I always refer to it is a weekend <laughs> yeah. because it feels like a weekend. But what's happening around Peachtree that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, besides the race that's going to be really exciting to celebrate the 50th running of this event. We have a lot to look forward to. Thanks for taking us on your training runs along with you this week. Good luck in your training and join us here again next week for more on the Peachtree Podcast. You've been listening to the Peachtree Podcast, the official podcast of the AJC Peachtree Road Race. Thanks to this week's sponsors. For more information, visit atlantatrackclub.org. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ATL Track Club. A DYJ Media Production.